1: This life is the only life that matters. This life is short and eternity is long. And so as we focus on God, as we worship God in spirit and in truth from the heart, in a way that honors Him and blesses us, in a way that He calls us to do it, our priorities begin to fall into place, the right priorities. And when we take our eyes off of the ball, so to speak, off of the prize, bad things happen. I can see the promised land.
0: Though there's pain within the plan, there is victory in the
1: end. Your love is my battle cry, the anthem for all my life.
0: Every dragon will fall, the mountains will move. Every chain of the past you've broken into, oh, We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Oh, nothing is impossible. Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so happy that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues our walk through the Sermon on the Mount with his successful Kingdom Living teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the Gospel of Matthew,
1: Chapter 6.
0: Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: God looks at the heart and the trouble is in our culture is there are many professing Christians who are all into appearances how do they dress how do they do what do they, what do they look do they look like me what do, the Sermon on the Mount is about the heart it's not about appearances and that's why we understand that worship is everything we say think and do because God is looking at our beatitudinal hearts he's looking at the expression of what's inside of us as it comes out of us you heard me say before, we're like tubes of toothpaste. You put a squeeze on us and what's inside comes outside. We're like a tea bag. put us in the water and out comes the tea. The water didn't make the tea, it released the tea. What's inside of us comes out of us. And worship is everything we say, think, and do. Now I know somebody's probably going, well, wait a minute, where'd you get that definition from? Where's that found? It's found in 1 Corinthians 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do to the glory of God. Do all things to the glory of God. That's worship. We are to worship, we are to serve the Lord and Him only. We are not to do what we do to please men, to get a promotion at work, to be accepted in the culture. You know, we're not to go out looking for trouble. Don't worry about it. If you live for Christ, trouble will find you sooner or later. But we are to live and love for Christ based on what He's done for us. This is Sermon on the Mount living. This is Successful Kingdom living. We do what we do in response to His love. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever should believe in him would not perish. This, our, our worship doesn't save us. It is the result of our salvation. It demonstrates that we are followers of Christ, that we are rightly related to the Savior of the world. And it begins in the heart. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. In his day, religion was all outward. By this time, Greco-Roman religion was in the area, the, the, the Greek and Roman gods. Judaism was morally bankrupt. People were going through the motions of religion, drop by the temple, snatch up a turtle dove on the way to Jerusalem, sacrifice it, and go back and live the way it used to live before. Get in and get out. It's all about appearances. That's what Judaism had become in his day. And so Jesus confronts the hypocrisy of his culture. He makes a big deal out of giving to the poor, but not when people are watching. He makes a big deal out of mindless prayers that don't matter. You know, you can go bead by bead all day long, but if you really don't know who or what you're praying to, it really doesn't matter. And then he jumps on their version of Lent, fasting. And what is fasting? You know, fasting is denying yourself food and drink, but fasting is making yourself uncomfortable so that you can depend on God and focus on God in a way that you've not done before. Worship is not about outer conformity, but inward change. It's about the heart, and that's why he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward. There is a reward for worshiping God in wisdom and in truth. So the point is, worship is a matter of the heart. You remember, that, you, know, you may look marvelous, but you may not be marvelous. Outward appearances can deceive. Secondly, the second reality here that we find in the Sermon on the Mount is that true worship honors God and blesses you. It honors God. It pleases God and blesses you. Where do we see that? Where is that found? If your heart is for God, then your worship will be for God and God will bless you. He'll return the love that you return to him, honoring your obedience. Where is that found? It's found in verse 3, 4, and 17 and 18. 3 through 6, 17 and 18. Here it is. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor, God rewards you. He's not rewarding you because you're the big man or the big woman on campus. He's rewarding you because you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and therefore do what he says, you do what he asks and you love your neighbor as yourself. Verse six, and when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Again, and your father who sees in secret will reward you there's no may there it's a statement of fact it's a declaration of fact of truth but when you fast anoint your head and face and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but your father who is in secret your father who sees in secret will reward you what jesus is doing here he's providing illustrations from their life from their culture from their worship to remind them that worship is from the heart and that worship honoring god obeying god serving God on his terms. The way he asks those who belong to him to do brings a blessing. When you honor God, you receive blessing. God does reward. Salvation is not a reward for something we do, but after we become his, after we surrender our will to him, after we surrender our past, present, and future, our rights to him, and as we serve him in the way that he requires. He's not an elected official wanting your vote. He's laying it out in the word of God. Jesus is laying it out here in clarifying the law and the prophets. He blesses those who honor him. This is the God, when he sees the worship from your heart, this is the God who rewards your heart. He gives you the desires of your heart. He is pleased with your obedience. Your father who sees in secret, your father who sees what no one else can see, will reward you for your faithfulness. Now, it may not come in this life, it may come in the next, but reward will be yours. And again, this is not going about earning your salvation. It's about living and working out your salvation with fear and trembling in a fallen world that needs to know Christ, that needs to know the one, the true, and the only God that there really, really is. And when you worship, you know what else? We bless others too. When we're faithful, we bless others too. We do. Through our sincere, God-centered, other-oriented prayers, we bless the people we pray for. Through our sincere, from-the-heart giving, we bless the poor, we keep the lights on, and we keep the ministry going and people benefit more often than not eternally. And when we fast, when we center our heart and our soul on God and nothing else, and when we fast we, and when we focus on the right priorities, guess what? Other people benefit. Children, grandchildren, friends, neighbors, husbands, wives, friends, enemies, they benefit. And we have this series of, there are series, if you go through the whole Old Testament, and New Testament, this idea of obedience being blessed and blessing others. Is repeated again and again, and I'm not going to go through 3,523 billion verses here. I'm just going to pick a few. First Samuel 2:30, the Lord declares, "Far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed." When you honor God, He honors you. He blesses you. Proverbs 3:9 through 10, honor the Lord with your wealth, and from the first fruits of your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. This isn't a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. This is the word of God here. And a bigger passage here is found in Mark eight thirty-four to 38. A little more complicated, a, a more uh, broader, comprehensive uh, explanation of the principle. Jesus says, Jesus is speaking here in verse 34, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But, on the other hand, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. There's your blessing. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? To live for others, to live for the approval of others. Oh, what can a man give in return for his soul? Look, look at this in verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. God honors your faithfulness. He honors your sincere, heart-driven worship. There is a reward in following Christ. There is a reward in obeying his word and honoring his will. You know, another definition of worship is conforming your will to the word of God. Is cognitively, deliberately, intelligently, specifically, with precision, to the best of our fallen, broken abilities, to conform our will to his will. And when we do that, God blesses us. He blesses us indirectly, and he blesses us directly. Indirectly, you think of all the world of hurt that you avoid when you follow Christ instead of following the way of the world. That's just the overflow of God's goodness. And directly, when you do what he asks you to do, he blesses you. There is a reward. We know there are levels of reward in heaven. God looks at the heart of our worship. He looks at the motives and he blesses those who honor him. And that's why I like to say, and that's why the Bible teaches that worship is a verb. And really this brings us to our third reality, our third understanding here of worship. Worship keeps the right priorities in focus. Worship helps us order our priorities appropriately. Worship enables us to have the right priority from the heart faithful, sincere worship reorders our priorities. It helps us to keep the right priorities and focus. Where do we see this? Matthew 6, 19. We'll go through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, for where the moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys nor where thieves destroy. Do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's going on there? When you have the wrong priorities, really, nothing you do lasts. You know, people like to leave legacies. But when they focus on the wrong things, you know, it's like David talks about in Psalm 37, the wicked man spreading his arms like a great tree, and then boom, you can't find him anymore. We lay up treasure in heaven. When we focus on God, when we give, when we pray, when we fast, when we depend on him, we lay up treasure that will last souls are saved the gospel goes out sacrifices are made which god rewards in this life or the life to come and it lasts because we're not we understand that we are just passing through and we don't fall into the trap of having messed up priorities and living this life as if this life is the only life that matters this life is short and eternity is long and so As we focus on God as we worship God in spirit and in truth from the heart in a way that honors him and blesses us in a way that he calls us to do it our priorities begin to fall into place the right priorities and when we take our eyes off of the ball so to speak off of the prize bad things happen and probably the most startling and and sad example of this is with parents sometimes who are so busy that they really don't spend any time discipling the hearts and minds of their children. And the, probably one of the most stark examples of this kind of failure is in the book of Judges, Judges 2, 8 through 12. When the priorities are out of line, bad things happen. How do we know? And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance at Timnath-Hedas, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. They passed away. And this is just one of the most chilling statements in the Bible. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers. Wrong priorities. They got into the land. They conquered the land. And they got about the business of uh, building houses and doing this and doing that, and they took their eyes off of God. Their priorities were elsewhere. I read the uh, journal of a man named William Bradford. You may know him. He came over with the pilgrims in 1620, and he was kind of like their leader. And when you read his, his journal, it's sad at the end because what happened is the next generation came up, and they were worried about farming and this and that and this and that, and they moved away from the colony, and they moved out, and they lost track of God. And that's what happens. But right worship vaccinates us from that it gospel inoculates the heart and the soul and the mind you know one of the most difficult things about ministry is this particularly student ministries here in any church i've ever been in we forget as parents sometimes maybe as grandparents aunts uncles i don't know the church is the cherry on top of the banana split and i love banana splits that is the dessert of the discipleship that you do in the home we're not here to train your children we're here To support you as you do what God has called you according to his priorities. And when they're in a school system all day long, and they're out playing sports all day long, and they're out running around all day long, and you're out running around with them and after them, and they're getting indoctrinated because education now is indoctrination. We know that. There's no need pretending otherwise. And then we get them for 90 minutes on Sunday and maybe 90 minutes during the week. All we can do is put the cherry on top of the ice cream. The right priority is for the parents, the husbands and the wives, the disciple, the children that the Lord has loaned to them for a season. That's what was going on in Israel, and they didn't do it, and there came a generation that knew not the Lord. I remember reading a bogus statistic that 75% of all children, uh, when they graduate high school, never come to church again, and there must be something wrong. There is. They're not hearing the gospel at home. They're not seeing prayer at home and they're not seeing the emphasis of the word of God at home when they drop in on Sunday or Wednesday night for an hour or so. It, it, there's no way we can compete against the media, against the educational system and against the culture. All we can do is come alongside you and buttress you or there will come a generation that knows not the Lord. Those who are discipled, those who are, who are trained, those who are, who are encouraged by the example of true worship they don't go off the they don't go off the rails when they go off to college. They stay the course. That's about twenty five percent, which is about right because we are a remnant, right? Not a majority. If three to eight percent of Americans are Christians, that's a big number. Many are called, few are chosen. Anyway, that was an extra sermon. We'll go back on this. Okay, yeah. So it all goes back to the fact that we live in a in a surveillance culture people are watching. All right, we're always worried about our emails and our phone conversations. But you know what? The culture is watching. And we worship God from the heart and we worship in spirit and in truth and we worship him sincerely. And when our priorities are right, people notice, whether it's our children or our grandchildren or our nieces or our nephews or our friends or our neighbors, and we get a chance to change the world one soul at a time. I remember counseling a young woman in her early 30s uh, several, several years ago. Her father and mother had brought her in and she had been she'd gone through Awana and she had uh she'd even helped out in Sunday school and things like that and she had been arrested now four or five times for DUI she was hanging out with the wrong crowd and I remember talking to her and I was like you know uh we're, we're just wrestling with this what's going on she goes well God isn't my priority right now I got to live my life I got to make my own mistakes I got to do what I got to do and you yeah, know this is the priority thing here you know her parents got serious about their fate later much later and this is the result and that doesn't mean that if you have a child who's a prodigal that you failed as a parent i'm just saying and the word of god is just saying that when our priorities are right when we are our worship is right we have the right priorities and that helps us all right let's go on to the fourth reality the fourth understanding of worship worship is a given simple as that worship is a given there's no time in our lives for us to put worship on hold there's no time in our lives to say, I'm in a crunch time. I really don't have time for God. He's not a priority right now, like that young woman said. There's no such time for that because no one, as Jesus says, can serve two masters. You're gonna love one and neglect the other, love one and hate the other. There's no time where your school or your career or anything else comes between you and God, right? You shall have no other gods before me or you shall have no other priorities. Worship is a given. It's a fact. He expects that of us. He expects that of us. Where do we read this? We read this in Matthew 6, 2a, if you want to call it that. What does it say? See that? Thus, when you give. 3a. But when you give. 7a. When you pray. 16a. When you fast. There's no if there, there's no conditional. He's saying when you do what you're supposed to do. When you give. When you pray. When you fast. When you worship. Not if you worship. When you worship x y and z you will be blessed and when you pray do it this way and when you fast do it this way because i want you to do it from the heart that loves me worship is a matter of the heart and it keeps our priorities straight because it's a given matthew six thirty three, but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness right these this is our priority these are givens these are God's expectations of you and me If we want to change the world If we want to change our own lives If we want to be part of his kingdom work If we want to see transformation take place Worship must be a given It must be a priority It must be a natural part of our existence So what do we do with all this? H- how, do we, how do we put all this into practice? You know, if you ever go to the doctor And, he, and you walk in and sit down and he, goes, and he writes a prescription and says Take these drugs and go on You know, Come back and see me next week You know that he hasn't taken the time to understand your need and write a prescription. I don't know where each and every one of you stand spiritually at such a time as this, at this moment in time. So what I'd like to do is just give you some what I would call spiritual MRI questions to ask and answer in your own heart, to ask and answer about your own life. Not to me, but to you and God. And the first spiritual MRI question is this in terms of application. Why are you here? Why are you here? Are you here because you love God or social pressure? Ritual, relationship, serving, praying, giving, fasting, just what? Why are you here? How's your worship? Is it rote or is it from the heart? What would your critics say? Does the world see your heart for Christ in all that you say, think, and do characteristically? I'm not asking for sinless perfection because neither is God. Okay, that's the first MRI, MRI question. Second MRI question, and these are coming right out of the text that studied. How are your priorities? Is Christ first place in your heart or is he on hold? You know, one of the things, I, uh, I had a, a, a spiritual experience with the Department of Motor Vehicles. And there's nothing worse than being on hold and just going through a phone tree that you know really has no end, you know? You know, I hope that Christ isn't on hold in my life or yours. Third, third spiritual MRI. Is worship for you optional? Is it optional? What would your neighbors and family say? What do they see? Why are you here? How are your priorities? Is worship optional or is it a given now as we think all these happy thoughts here and wrestle with our heart and soul and as we ask the spirit of God to reveal to us through his word and by his power what needs to change let me just give you some words of encouragement here God has raised you up you are right here right now because he has a purpose for you a purpose that he will empower you to fulfill and it doesn't matter how much you failed yesterday or last week or last month if you want to worship him in spirit and in truth if you want to turn a corner if you want to turn over a new leaf As a believer, then he's ready, willing, and able to take you where you need to go if you'll let him. You have a gift, an ability, a skill, a resource. You have time. You have wisdom that can be used in his kingdom work. And he's just dying to see you on the field, in the game for his glory, for the glory of God, for the good of others, and for your own growth. Because as you live for Christ, you can point others to Christ. And if you're off the right track, you can get back on the right track. We serve a forgiving, gracious, and loving God. And if you're on the right track already... You may have deviated here and there from time to time, but generally you've been headed in the right direction, forgetting what lies behind and pressing on to the upward call that is in Christ Jesus. Keep on keeping on because you know what? There's no retirement in his kingdom and you are racking up treasure in heaven and that is not a bad, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege, for the opportunity and the responsibility to worship. Father, help, help us, Father, help me to worship you with sincerity, Lord, in spirit and in truth in everything I say, think, or do. Help us all to do that, to do what Christ has called us to do, Father. Realizing that you will enable us to do the things that we could not do in our own strength in you. And you will reward us, Father, for the things that you do through us as we cooperate in our sanctification and work out our salvation with fear and trouble. Lord, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth so that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and keep the right priorities in the forefront of our minds and our hearts. And that in so doing, Lord, we can so let our light shine before men and women that they would see our good works and glorify you, our Father, in heaven